0: a pleasure to be with all of you today. Thanks so much for coming. I feel very blessed, very fortunate to share about these important topics with people like you who are here for some reason, of course, some interest is there about the ultimate purpose and these important uh, topics. So as Diana told you, I will try to mention, begin by mentioning some brief introduction about who am I, where I'm coming from? And after that we will open some space for questions and answers. <clears throat> so personally I'm as Dana mentioned I've started this practice twenty years ago. I'm thirty-nine almost thirty eight now, but almost thirty nine. And I was born in nineteen eighty in Argentina in 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 the midst of February pious family. My parents had been very uh, loving people. My mother, especially inclined, connected to religiosity in the form of Christianity. She, as as I was saying in the previous class, she wanted to be a nun when she was young, but, well, my father appeared on the way, so (laughs) some change of agenda. my My father being also a very pious and ethical person, so I received I've been nurtured by both of them in very nice ways. So I've grown up with certain Christian sensibilities. But eventually, when I reached my teenage years, hmm, uh, I enter into what we may call a deep existential crisis. That's what about teenage years are all about, <laughs> and sometimes even beyond that. <laughs> but the idea is to solve the existential crisis, hopefully. As one of my teachers says, human life in itself is, exist- is an existential crisis. But not crisis as something negative, but as something to be solved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When we say problem, it's, nothing, it's, it's not something necessarily negative. It's something to be solved, it's something challenging. It may be something difficult. But the word difficult is not something wrong. I mean, it's something that implies challenge, and challenge implies uh, development grow so what's the problem with that (laughs) it will be a problem only if we do not want to grow up (laughs) and sometimes that happens a lot (laughs) so the point is at that time of my life I was really faced with different existential questions about myself about life in itself about death about God, about the world, and what's the nature of all this, and why it's going so madly as it seems to be going, and I'm going mad with them, so (laughs) how to solve all of this? And at that time, as I was also sharing yesterday in the previous class, of course I was not born into this tradition, as I told you, I was not born as a monastic I was even a member of two rock and roll bands before becoming Swami, so you can understand that there was some uh, different past life in this very same lifetime, <laughs> I have some reincarnation in this lifetime two times, so, <laughs> so I was looking here and there in so many directions, for me music and arts have been always a way of expressing myself and looking for answers and, and, and perspectives of reality. So eventually the existential crisis reached some intense peak lots of suffering was there for me as I was also saying and that suffering also I feel helped me a lot not because I, I like to suffer but suffering has a purpose in life and that helps you to to mature and grow and, 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 and think a little bit deeper about why I'm suffering because if, some, if I'm suffering it's not that there is someone to blame for that because I'm the one choosing to suffer in, in, in any given situation in that same situation I can embrace the same situation in bliss the next one next, the other person next to me maybe is happy with the same situation I'm suffering so it's not the suffering inherent to the situation in themselves but to how we choose to approach reality so this suffering invited me to change my angle of vision and try to find some new alternatives about how to approach life. So in this I started to do a very intense uh, inquiry and reading and studying of different books. Remember at that time it was um, 1990-whatever. Some of you may have not even been born at that time. And 1995, I was 15 years. At that time I became vegetarian Uh, by my own will. It was very like epiphany-like moment. My mother put some plate there and I have the realization I cannot eat this anymore I mean I was not expecting that and you can imagine my mother was not expecting that <laughs> and I put the, the plate and I say I cannot eat this anymore and my mother is like what's going on <laughs> so and by my own conclusion gradually I started also to, to stop using whatever substance I was using at that time being a aspirant rock and roll star so but <laughs> actually whatever drug or whatever I took in my case at least I was taking it as a means of uh, taste, tasting different alternative states of consciousness that was my only concern how to perceive reality from an alternative point of view that may be much uh, less stressful and much more blissful and enlightening so eventually I realized it's not about taking those certain substances but creating some change of perspective inside of me. So I started to read different books to study Western uh, philosophy, really going deep with that, especially Frederick Nietzsche and Dostoevsky and many other philosophies over there. Eventually I turned to religion, Christianity, and eventually I turned more and more to the India side, if you will, you know, Buddhism, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, and many other pieces there. Till I entered India officially, if you will, in my studies. And I was feeling more and more close to what I was looking for. Answers were appearing here and there, but always something else remained to be known. So eventually the the, 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 the stroking, you say, stroking point, like before and after that, was when I read Bhagavad Gita. Maybe you have heard about Bhagavad Gita already? It's like one of the main books in our tradition. And... I practically read the whole book in two days, it's like this, (laughs) but I was really thirsty and looking for answers, so I I found myself discovering all the answers to my questions, and even answers to questions that I was not asking to myself, but I realized I should have been asking those questions also, So (laughs) so eventually after doing the study of the book, it was just, the only question I had was, where is the people who is practicing this, because I felt Like some natural necessity of connecting the theory with the ones who are taking the theory into practical expression. So fortunately the people was there. It was not only a book. Uh, And well, eventually I met the practitioners of this particular tradition. And uh, and I think after two months of visiting the, the local ashram in Buenos Aires in Argentina, for every single day, no? going there. I was already studying Indian music at that time, no more playing drums and electric guitar. I was playing <laughs> tabla and other Eastern instruments there. So every day I was going to the to the ashram, and after two months I thought, well, actually I'm just coming back to my house to sleep, so I better I'd move to the ashram and go to live there. <laughs> and I wanted to live there. As a, I also discovered there the the Possibility of living living a monastic life, which for me was a very interesting discovery because during all my life, I've never had any girlfriend uh, nor any boyfriend nor any whatever partner in that sense because I've never felt inclined to that. But it was so weird because, I mean, all my friends were having their respective partners and it was feeling... What's going on with me? <laughs> I remember one day my parents came to my room and said, oh dear child, no matter which choice you take in this world, we will always love you. you know? So I said, I'm not gay. I said, <laughs> I, mean, I have no problem with that. I have lots of friends who are all gay, whatever. But it's not my case. You know? So they look at me, so what's going on? And I say, I don't know. I'm also wondering that same thing. So when I eventually discovered... The, the the lifestyle of a monastic, I really felt. Oh, this is for me. It's a really weird option, but well, I'm a weird guy, it seems. So, <laughs> and I really connected with that. I remember some recent years, some friend of mine did to me an astrological chart because of some health issues, basically. And in the astrological chart, especially in Indian tradition, so many things appear there. It's really wow. <laughs> And, and he told me, "Oh, you have the exactly perfect chart for being a swami, for a monk. I mean, Venus, Venus, the planet Venus, that is the romance planet. You have it in the worst possible position," <laughs> since he told me, "Romance is not for you in this lifetime." <laughs> I said "Yes, I, I felt that always. I mean, now there was some confirmation. So there was something coming in my DNA already, if you will, from previous lifetime, maybe." So. So, well, basically, I enter into this monastic life, so I have some words we can share about that as well. Uh, in, in my tradition, monasticism is not uh, overtly like, emphasized. I mean, it's not a, being about the monk or being about the lay practitioner. It's being about the bhatta, which means someone who practices bhakti or the yoga of love, of devotion. And there is no limits to that. You can be at home. You can be in, the, in your hermitage or whatever. <laughs> you can be at college speaking to you. Um, the, the main idea is to become a pure lover of God in our specific tradition. So there is no like strong emphasis in being a monastic. Like in other traditions, you find that type of emphasis. But at the same time, it's a very nice window of opportunity where you can... Like really devote your whole time for, well, practicing, reading, studying, chanting, praying, and trying to serve others. Because in our philosophy, the idea of service is really very, very much embedded in the whole conception of serving everyone. No, so personally, I have always felt this idea of I want to. To dedicate every single minute and moment of my life in that direction exclusively. I don't do, I like to be distracted by other things. I want to just be focused on that, absorbed in that. So I felt in my case, in my case, again, I'm not saying everyone should be like me. I mean, that would be really weird. So I felt this is the best way I can express my, my, my inquiry and no? my desires in life. So to be a monastic is, uh, implies introspection. It's an invitation to live a relatively re- retired life from certain dynamics, even though now I'm in the midst of the city. <laughs> I chose to do that for a while, to come and speak with you and other people. I tried to, I toured tour the world like half a year. But I need the other half here to <laughs> to go to my her- hermitage and close the door and just you know, <laughs> recover, if you will, and take energy to return and try to give myself to others. I mean, it's, I try not to do that in a selfish way. You know? If I go out, uh, if I go to my hermitage and pray and study, for me, it's not a selfish thing because I'm trying to become a better person, to purify myself, so I can better give myself to others. You know? So that's how I try at least to conceive it so that's a little bit about my my daily life which starts quite early in the morning maybe but maybe not so early for some of you you tell me (laughs) 5 a.m. relatively early early? early. okay I'm a monastic so you can wake up later no problem (laughs) so I wake up at 5 a.m. of course I go to bed relatively early as well I have a good amount of sleep so well, I, I start my day by praying, by reciting different grateful pl- prayers to Mother Earth, to God, for just being fortunate to have a new day. Trying to you know, offer that, offer my life in that day that may be the last. No, we never know, so we should live each day as if it's the last. And if the same goes, try to live your day as if it's the last, and one day you will be right. You know? <laughs> so, so I, I offer certain. Prayers and recite certain mantras we have different types of invoking these mantras accompanied with musical instruments I'm still a musician but now in the context of being a monastic in my tradition so we play different instruments when we sing and chant very musical uh, tradition the one I participate in Mm -hmm. But also we recite medit- meditating prayers with rosaries and some other forms. And daily I have this type of meetings, like with you now. Morning lectures, study of sacred texts. There are many sacred texts. Now maybe you know about Vedas and Gita, Bhagavad Gita, but there are so many other. And eventually I do all those things till my uh, breakfast moment. And after that, basically some light breakfast, and juice there, and I continue with. I involve myself a lot with social media as well, but almost exclusively trying to share the message through that powerful tool. I mean, we, try, we are not against the technology, but we are, we are just aware, like, proceed with caution, <laughs> because we can be easily become entangled with that, but that can also facilitate in a powerful way so many things. So we try to really express our detachment In in a practical way. Not detached. Just I I wear long clothes in the top of the mountain. I'm really detached. Who knows? You may be attached to your long clothes. (laughs) And instead of that, our sense of detachment is we can use everything. It exists because we recognize everything in God's energy. And we try to use every aspect of God's energy into his service. So... Having my mac is god 's energy it 's not my Mac actually, <laughs> and I try to use properly into some high service and with this psychology, I try to to connect to every single atom if you will i 'm not saying i 'm doing that successfully every time, but that 's an attempt <laughs> no? and in that way, you become protected and not really entangled in the world because entanglement, as we were speaking before, is when we start to to really want to possess and control and exploit the resources of this world. That's where the entanglement starts. Not by, by having a house, a family, a wife, a job. It's not a problem in there. The problem is when you start to attach in an improper way, Attached to something that I don't know, attached to your car, my car. But you know, someday it won't be your car because it will disappear totally. <laughs> so if you project your attachment in a permanent way, You are permanent. You are consciousness, eternal being. The car is not. (laughs) So when the car is no longer there, your attachment, present attachment, will create suffering. Because what's not there, someday won't be there. And you will want it to be there, but it won't be there. So what to do? (laughs) So better you use your car, but you don't don't get overtly attached as to project your own identity into a lump of metal and plastic. And you think... That's me. (laughs) Because we get to really feel, that's me. If I tell to you now, oh, your car has just been stolen. You say, oh, I'm lost. I say, you are not lost, your car is lost. (laughs) But we project our own sense of self to those things that we are attached to. So if that's lost, it means we are lost. But that's a very different thing. So I don't want to go into detail, to philosophy now, but a little bit about... What's for us detachment and renunciation? No, because I'm a, a renunciant. No, I, I have taken some vows that are called. First, brahmachari, which means I have been a monk for 10 years. Till my nine, from my 19 years, I started all this journey. Till my 29 years, I remain as a monk with the possibility, if you will, with open windows to maybe get a family or not and eventually I reinforced my vows by accepting one order called sannyas or swami or maharaj as then was saying which implies like lifelong celibacy oh. and I can see your faces now, no problem <laughs> again it's a voluntarily thing that in my personal case I accepted that because I felt it's natural for me and it keeps me balanced for other people it may take them out of balance so each one should know where to locate her himself in the world. Now for us, this being a monastic or not being a monastic is just a matter of establish yourself in a psycho-emotional way that you are balanced enough to pursue, pursue your spiritual life. That's all. I mean, it doesn't make you better or worse being a monastic wearing these weird orange clothes or not. That's secondary stuff. No? So... What else? Uh, Some some brief words about some of our beliefs and philosophy, and after that we go to the question and answer section. Some topics that I know are generally presented here is what's our idea about death, what's our idea about life, what's our idea about God. So I will try to be brief because it's an ending. (laughs) It's really difficult for me to be speaking now because I really, I like to speak a lot. <laughs> so, so I have to be brief. So about death, as I was saying before, most of you, or some of you may be aware of this nice book that Dana had presented recently about death. So it's a very interesting approach about the importance of accepting the idea of death. In the Mahabharata, which is one of the main books of our tradition, there's a very nice section where a great sage is there and a list of questions are being presented to him. And he has to answer all those questions perfectly if he wants his brothers to survive. Long story. But he has to really give the the, the answer. (laughs) So at one point, one question comes. What's the most astonishing thing in this world? So that's really astonishing, the question itself so many astonishing things (laughs) but he had to mention the most astonishing thing so he thought for a while and he said the most astonishing thing is this world is that the people is here and around the person, everyone is dying but that person thinks that won't happen to me (laughs) or maybe they say yeah, it will happen to me but they live as if it won't happen to them that's really astonishing <laughs> because that's every happening to every single person. That's the most, if you will, common situation that we will have, and that's the topic that we'll speak the less about. <laughs> and we speak about so many other things that we won't have in common. Now, the president of, I don't know, Madagascar, went on holidays to Cancun. Who cares? <laughs> I will never be a president there. I will never maybe go to Cancun. But I will for sure die. (laughs) So I should be speaking about that. And since all of us will go through that experience, we have to speak about that. But the interesting thing is that when you start speaking about that, you realize, well, actually, I won't die. (laughs) When you start to speak about death, you realize there is not such a thing called death. You use the term. But in our philosophy, at least we are eternal beings, so we cannot die we are consciousness, we are soul, as we like to express it, spirit so there is no birth, there is no death that's only connected to the soul expressing itself into the vehicle of this present body so you yourself have this experience if I I ask you, please bring a picture of you when you were two months old and I put all the pictures here and mix them I'm sure you're, you are not able to recognize which is your picture <laughs> because so much has changed but at the same time you, you won't say the one at the picture was another person now I'm another you have changed but the person is the same, you are there, you are here but the vehicle totally transformed basically so for us it's very important to understand its difference on the plane of consciousness everything remains in the same way. In the platform of matter, everything is subject to transformation. You are getting born, getting infant, childhood, teenager, adult, old age, death, quote-unquote. But you are the same person. Hmm. When when you are 40 years and we are 20, now I'm 40, I can't speak with experience. <laughs> I'm not saying, oh no, at, at 20 years there was some other person here, and now I became, appeared. No, oh, you are... But externally things are transforming. So it's interesting to to embrace these type of topics before I mean if we want to understand something first we have to accept that something. So if you want to understand something about death, first you have to accept that's going on. And when you accept that's going on you start to realize well actually that's going on in a particular way, but it's not actually death. It's not that I stop existing, just changing to another that's example we were given. If you change your T-shirt, as you do daily maybe, it's not a big traumatic experience. Oh no, a new T-shirt I have to put now. Or if you go from this room to the next room, it's not like a situation that requires psychological treatment. I have to enter the, the kitchen, the bathroom, changing of another room. So from this consciousness to enter another body, it's basically the same <laughs> Um, You may say, no, some is not the same. I do not feel the same. I'm terrified about death. Okay, I I believe you. (laughs) But it's not because death in itself is terrifying. It's because just you have some misunderstanding about what's death about and what will be happening at that point. But when you really develop proper knowledge and apply the knowledge in practice, you realize there is no death. I'm eternal. I don 't I don't have to be afraid that I will disappear, whatever. So the fear comes again when we are attached to a material temporary conception of life because we fear this will be end at, will be over at some point. And yes, it will be over. <laughs> but if you are not getting attached to that, okay. whenever it 's over it's over, whenever the, the, the watch stops working. I'll get a new one. <laughs> so whenever this body stops working, you will get a new one, for sure. <laughs> so, because of that, we speak up in terms of leaving the body and not so much dying. So in death, what go- what's going on for us, it's soul consciousness is getting out of this physical body and traveling to a new body, which we call reincarnation, through the vehicle of what we call psychic body, composed of mind, Intellect and ego. That subtle body is still there when the physical body falls apart. And when you even transcend your psychic body, that's what we call—you have attained the spiritual body, spiritual reality. Hmm? So some ideas about death. Again, I can be speaking whole day about that, but for that you have Dan Dennis' book and so many other material. I would like to share some words about God. Hmm? how we approach that idea because God for many people has to do much more with someone who is like over there and he's doing his own job And okay if if they accept there is a God (laughs) he's over there in his own thing and we are here in our own thing there's no sense in connection and he's mainly connected to the idea of administrator of the universe. Sometimes the word God is connected to this. Now, G-O-D, generator, operator, destroyer. These three functions that you find in India, like Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, but actually are not speaking about God, as about who he is, or even who she is. I don't want to go into that, but in our tradition you find a, a double conception of God, both female and feminine, because both... Parts are there in a transcendental way. So in our tradition that is called Gaudiya Abayishnamism, and, and as Dennis said, I, I forgot to mention that in detail, but, I mean, because if I say I practice Hinduism, that's a really abstract thing. Sometimes I say that to people in the street, you can imagine at every corner people come in, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm not of, of them are interested in what I'm doing. They just want some answer. So I said, I'm Hinduism. Okay, and they left. <laughs> I said, no, but come, I want to tell you in detail. Oh, it's okay with that. <laughs> but I, I say nothing. <laughs> Hinduism is just whatever spiritual stuff is going on in India. <laughs> so, but you take the plane, arrive to India, you find like a big like no, parade of possibilities, <laughs> theistic possibilities in a personalistic way. In personal way, there are schools of impersonal approach to the absolute, with their approach approaching energy. Like Sankar in Advaita Vedanta like Patanjali in Yoga, you have personal view, mainly streams called Vaishnavism where Vishnu is worshipped. There are some others who worship sheep as well and others. And in Vaishnavism, one particular stream is called Gaudiya Vaishnavism, the one I'm following. So the particular conception we worship here of God is called Krishna. You have you have heard about it? So what's the meaning of Krishna? Now I'm asking you. <laughs> yeah. Is he um, like a form of Vishnu? What's the meaning of the word? You know? Okay, no problem. It means, it refers to the principle of attraction. So Krishna means supremely attractive. So it has to do to, with God connected to the idea of beauty. So... At least for me, it was very attractive uh, to hear. God has to do mainly with beauty, not so much with chastisement and justice, and but with sweetness, harmony, beauty, love, truth. That's what my heart was looking for in a very instinctive way. So Krishna has to do with that, and the way to approach such particular way of representation of God, because again, in our tradition, we are not closed. To other expressions of divinity. As I said before. Our tradition is one called. Polymorphic monotheism. Which means. One God. Many forms. The one without the second. But being unlimited. Having the capacity of expressing himself. Or herself. (laughs) Expressing himself as herself. And in many. Many different ways. According to the approach. Of the worshiper some proper reciprocation is there and there is no problem for us each one will have a particular taste regarding divinity like you have a taste for whatever food here no, you, I may say you, the sweetest fruit is mango I may, I, I may say the sweetest conception of God according to us is Krishna it has to do a lot with sweetness but someone may say ok but I don't like sweet so much <laughs> no. someone may like more I don't know apple than mango I say but it's not so sweet Okay, objectively, it's not so sweet. but subjectively, apple is my favorite. <laughs> Do you fall. So your tongue is more inclined to something not so sweet, but for you that's the best. So regarding divinity, there are different presentations. Some will be more like imbibed in this principle of sweetness and intimacy, and some other will be a little bit more like, well majestic. And each one, according to their own inner tongue, <laughs> will feel especially inclined in one direction or the other. So in our particular case, Krishna has to do with intimacy, sweetness, to the point that we worship him not so much as God, <laughs> but as something beyond God. So I will have to share some brief words in this po- at this point in order not to create a theological... Uh, crisis in you. <laughs> so what's going on here? So I give. Joe, I always give very simple examples. You, for example, may have a the, the example I gave in the previous class. The president of one particular country, and the first per- that person goes to the government house daily, and he behaves in a very official way there. Now everyone comes, Mr. President, all no? the pictures. No. Everything is extremely formal. There's no intimacy. There's no flow of affection. <laughs> no one will give a hug to the president. Only his mother, if she comes there. You know, and he will say, Mom, what are you doing here? We are in the government house. You know? <laughs> so there he is the president, but he's not himself, really. He's the president. That's a role that doesn't fully represent his real being. Only when he goes back home, and for example, uh, his grandson is there waiting for him, no? he will become his full self. And the grandson, will. we expecting not the president, but we're we'll expecting grandpa to come. Do <laughs> you follow? So he will say, oh, grandpa, no. jump to the floor. I want you to become like a, whatever, a turtle. No. <laughs> and I will drive on you. And you have the president, Donald Trump, being a turtle on the floor. <laughs> no? No? That person, if you want, press a button and may make one country like explode. But now he's just on the floor by the power of love, if you will. The power of affection from that little boy. <laughs> Throw this powerful person to the floor and just move in like this. And <laughs> but both parties, grandpa and grandson, are happier there that with all the bureaucracy and formality that the government has you follow so that person is still the president but that's not so prominent there and that role that came at home is much more tasteful and prominent you follow so now apply that idea to God God being the president not of the states but of the whole cosmic manifestation (laughs) universal ruler whatever you like to call him that role is there for us but also we have the role of God at home what happened with God forgets for a while about his job <laughs> and enters into the intimacy of loving intimate deals dealings with his friends lovers different relationships those relationships that are the most important for us in this world are with our parents with our friends with our with love I mean, romantic relationships with our boss sometimes, or the teacher. <laughs> so, all those, if, if I take away all those relationships from you, you tell me what does remain in you. I mean, you will feel, oh, I disappear. If you take out my parents, friends, wife, husband, sons, I mean, what's of me? So, those relations that are so crucial to our own constitution are there also, can be expressed in relation to Krishna. So and in that point our relationship with Christian not will be won't be like majestic, you are God like government has formality, but intimacy. I want to be your friend. Okay, let's be your friend. And the idea of God is left behind. Not in a cheap way. I mean we first acknowledge He's God and eventually we forget that. <laughs> As the wife of the president now, yeah he's the president. But first He's my husband. <laughs> so in this way... Again, it's a very particular theological perspective. With we, God, we worship not so much God... But what happens when God goes beyond God. Godhood. You know? So because of this I say... God is an aspect of Krishna. Not on the opposite side. For us... Because you mentioned Vishnu and Krishna. Vishnu is more connected to God. But for us... Krishna is not so much an aspect of God, even though some schools may have that perspective, and it's valid, no problem. But in our particular subjective perspective, as I say, the tongue, our our taste, (laughs) we feel the absolute in its most complete feature is beyond the God conception. God is still there, but He's at home. So something else comes there. So were you able to follow the theological point on some level? Okay, thank you. So some brief extra words about how to how we apply our core belief into modernity and after that we open some question a session if you want. So <clears throat> particularly in our tradition, as I already mentioned, we are very concerned about what may be going on in the world. We are not out of date at least most of us of course there may be some practitioners like other traditions also that are more concerned with living a secluded life of prayer and for us that's also a very interesting contribution even though it won't won't be in the news (laughs) but there are are, for us in our conception through prayers to sacred sound they are creating a very subtle invisible maybe but powerful impact in the world and the environment through sacred sound, because as I said before for us, sound, in our particular theology, we follow some kind of sonic theology you know, where sound has a very prominent place in our practice being the most subtle of all elements in the world and being such so subtle sometimes we are not aware of its effect in us you, know. you may be in the city and just being there and sometimes say, oh I would like to go to the to the countryside for a weekend. To have a rest. To have a rest of what? And you may say, yeah, of my work, of this. But in great part, the rest you are looking is from certain sounds. <laughs> that maybe you are not aware. But when you go to countryside, I mean, you can get a rest in some other noisy place. And not working. But you want also some sound relief. <laughs> here in the water... And the birds, and not hearing certain things. <laughs> so, if you start to become aware of that, you realize oh, sound is really building my whole sense of uh, emotional daily states. Try to, to make the experiment even with music. I mean, if you are depressed, you will put some depressive music to get along, to not don't, to don't feel so much alone in that moment. Oh, someone else is depressed as me. <laughs> and we are nurturing each other, <laughs> and we are joyful. you look for another type of music. Now you want to jump into someone 's neck, you put some heavy metal, now you take your <laughs> I, I always speak what experience now I have insight in all those. I remember, you remember I was into that music, music scene before. <laughs> so sound is something very powerful. It really affects our own constitution. So, because of that, we consider, for example, if you are praying like a retired, secluded monk, you are really making a very nice contribution to society, even though it may be seen as indirect or not so important. Okay. But for us, it's very crucial. Because with sound, you are throwing, if you will, proper sounds, throwing harmony into the environment. And if you do not invoke proper sounds, you are polluting the environment on the sound sphere either ethereal sphere and from that goes all the other spheres air, fire, water, earth, all becomes polluted because of the more subtle sound pollution and and that starts with speaking properly that's a very practical thing in our teachings, how to reach our goal first of all, try to control the urge of your tongue that's not so easy (laughs) try to speak the proper words not to lie, not to be hypocrite, hypocritical. Okay, sorry, I'm practicing my English with you, <laughs> and and try to to really use your tongue in a pro- to control the urge to speak, because sometimes we want to speak, we want to speak, but we should know what to speak. If not, sometimes the tradition says mauna, better to do silence. If you don't have something positive to call to, you know, to, to give. Silence is a very interesting option in that case. (laughs) Now, if you have something interesting to say, you can remain with your mouth open the whole day, no problem. So regarding, yeah, nowadays issues regarding whatever, environmental issues, social issues, uh, gender-like issues, for us, all these situations and so many other that we may see so-called problematic uh, affairs have a common uh, root, a common uh, source, let's say. For us, all those things, and whatever you may call murderings and raping, and whatever you may add to the list, for us, that's not a problem. For us, those are symptoms of the problem. So, when we try to solve something, better you go to the root cause, and not just to try to give relief to the symptom. Because the root is still there and will over and over appear in so many different forms. So for us, there's only one problem, one root cause of all those so-called problems, that is called in Sanskrit abidya. Abidya means um, lack of education or lack of knowledge, but a particular type of lacking about a particular type of knowledge, which is the lacking, we sometimes do not know who we are. So if we don't have a clear perspective of who you are, try to imagine. We generally have an idea of who we are. Some of you may be in an existential crisis, who I am. But maybe most of you may be really sure. I know who I am. But maybe some of you may be wrong about that. <laughs> so that's maybe more complicated because you are convinced about something that is not so correct. And we are acting in the world on the basis of what we think we are. So if you don't have the proper idea. About who you are. And you act on that basis. You can imagine the result of that. It won't be the heavenly outcome. You know? So for us. a very important thing to, to approach. Whatever nowadays. Affair that needs to be solved. Is not so much go to the symptom of the thing. And try to create some relief here and there. I mean I'm not against. Noble causes that are approaching that. But. In our particular uh, contribution, we may add this idea. Not forget about the root cause of all those things. Try to nurture that. Try to understand who you are. That's a whole science, a whole education. When you have a clear idea of your real identity, you will be able to proceed in life, whatever field, in a sober way. And the natural result of that action will be totally... uh, favorable, healthy, for environment, society, family, yourself. No? So we try to start from ourselves, not in a selfish way, but we have to know who we are in order to relate properly to others. Because if I, not, I don't know who am I, most probably I don't know who you are. <laughs> so it will be a really isolated exchange. Not, not both of the parties do not know who they are. So and we try to relate, but if we don't know who we are, the experiment won't be too successful and we have so many experiences of that so some words about how we try to give our contribution to nowadays situations, but I won't expand more in that direction because as you are realizing I have no problem with using my tongue <laughs> and I want you to use yours so <laughs> if you have any question you would like to present, we have almost like a good amount of time for I would like also to hear about what your, are your interests mainly. No? So you can raise your hand and present any question you have. Yeah, your name is? Uh, my name is Kevin. Yeah, Kevin. So I, I had a question, which was, um, so if someone close to you dies, like, how do you deal with grief? Okay, well, my, par- my, my father died like half a year ago, so let's go to a close personal testimony. <laughs> because it's easy to speak about that if you never experience that also, because you can read about that, you can speak about that, but, I mean, it's not the same with someone, when your mother calls you, like in my case, and says, well, father died, and I was here, and he was in Argentina, and it was totally unexpected, because he was totally healthy, the day before, and some heart stroke came, and it's over, and interestingly, when she called me, the day before, I wondered, what if my father dies? <laughs> or my mother. I was like, just the idea came. sometime comes, no? If someone what, what to do in that moment. And the next day, my mother called. And when she pronounced the first word, immediately I felt my father passed away. I don't know why. Something came. It was there. Of course, I will give you my answer that is connected to 20 years of practicing this philosophy. <laughs> I say that because I feel that helped me a lot to deal with that. So I, of course, my mother said, well, your father passed away. uh, And uh, to be honest with you, I I didn't feel grief. Sorry if I feel like some UFO by saying that. (laughs) I cried during that day at two moments, I remember. It was at at Anandash from there in North Carolina. But it was not a crying of like... I don't know, like overwhelming, that what happened, where are you, you are not with me. But it was like a natural emotional expression of a human being, like saying goodbye, closing this chapter. But at the same time, inside of myself, I was totally in peace. I was totally happy, because I knew she was a good person, he left this world in a proper way. I mean, he had not to go through months and months of whatever, therapy, torture situations. And I could feel inside of myself like he's, I mean, it may sound like naive, but he's in a better place now. I mean, you can say that to convince yourself that I was really feeling he's there. And I, I, I whatever, the, the only thing I could, I was main trying to do in that moment is, I'm praying for, for his transition period. Because I know in this moment his soul has left the previous body and it's preparing to enter a new one so sometimes that transition can be a little bit like overwhelming like what's going on well, <laughs> I'm taking out of the of the car I'm taking to another one so at that moment especially that person needs like blessings if you will so I was trying to concentrate my prayers in that direction and not, not just being selfish about how much I'm suffering because he's not there but mainly trying to con- to think about what's he going on through now because it's easy just to become absorbing my own self oh I feel this and feel that and you are not really aware about the other person <laughs> so if I really love the person I want to be there with the person wherever that person is of course that's my case and you may say okay that's your case Swami you are the Swami here I'm going through some grief because of something I understand so if grief is there well, you should first get, got, get to the cause of the grief. Not, not just become like overwhelmed by the emotion itself. Okay, it's grief. Allow yourself to express that. You can cry. There's no problem. You need a shoulder there. Here's mine if, you, if it helps. <laughs> but after some point, you have to apply some philosophy, if you will. Not to, to sound like hard hardened, But you have to understand why am I feeling grief? Where is this grief coming from? Because if you don't think about that, you can be just a grief for your whole life And it, get, it can, may get even worse and worse and worse So Some philosophies require to deal with our emotions Because if not, we can just become too emotional in the wrong direction And that may be called depressed, suicide, whatever So, generally grief will be there because of some attachment to the, to the physical appearance of the person. Now if he's no longer there. So he's not there anymore, anywhere. And, that, and that's not a fact. But we may be attached only to relate to the person on physical terms. So that's why we should prepare for those moments now. Not, well, whenever my father passes away, I will see what to do. no <laughs> Now try to relate to him or to her or to whoever. Beyond physical terms, try to connect with the person on a deeper level so whenever that person is no longer here and you will be no longer here at some point also you are still able to relate with it to feel the presence of that person and and that's not just some sentimental mental journey I have that's a fact so I think that's the best way to deal with grief, I mean, you accept there is grief you allow yourself to feel that but you also question yourself, what's the source of this you are open to the answers and open to the changes. Changes you have to make in order to transcend the grief and make the grief become flourish into something more sweet. If you, will. <laughs> because I, I, I'm sure no, but no, no of you want to be a grief all their lives. But some of these situations will come, no. whether your parents left before you or whether you are leaving. <laughs> so you have to know how to deal. With such situations. That's what life is about. Once the Buddha says that, he says, For the one who lives, as if he will never have to die, he will die as he -hmm. has never lived. (laughs) So one thing is an integral part of of the other. Thank you. Someone else. Your name? Madison? Yeah. Is it possible to remember past lives? Yeah, is it possible? Do you remember any of yours? Not fortunately. <laughs> I'm saying fortunately why? Because sometimes we have enough things to deal with in this present life. So sometimes people is... I'm not saying that's totally wrong. But, and that can serve some purpose in some cases. But sometimes people is just curious. No? I would like to know who I was a whale in my previous life. And the previous previous life I was like a flower, and just becomes a distraction, it can become a distraction of what's your duty now Mm -hmm. And in this present life you have so many things to deal with, that if you want to add another lifetime to that that may be too much (laughs) so, uh, I consider that in the present moment you receive the perfect dose of past, and the perfect dose of future, because both of them meet in the present moment because in the present moment you are you are the result of your previous actions. So you are right now, now, today, in this moment, you are receiving, experiencing the consequences of your previous actions, whether positive, negative. So your past is, if you will, blossoming in the present moment. And also in the present moment, you have a choice to how to respond to that things that are coming. One thing is destiny, and another thing is... Um, How to call it? Like free will. There are two different things. Destiny means karma. Karma means what's coming to you because of your previous acts. But free will means how do I choose to reply to that destiny that is coming? You follow? So if some destiny is coming in a not very tasty way, you may understand, oh, that's because I I was not so tasty in my behavior previously. (laughs) So I can choose with my free will to change my response to this and create a new cycle of you know, questions and answers. So in this way the, the past is in the present and the future is there because again you are choosing now how to respond to these actions and you are creating your, you are being an architect of your future life in the present moment. So there you have future, there you have past and you have present. It's an important thing. <coughs> So I will mainly recommend that. Now, I know in certain specific cases for some even treatments, this has helped, and there are some therapies for that. In India, especially, lots of people has natural sensibilities towards previous life. I have known a recent case in one village in, in Bengal. The one girl was like, I don't know, six years. <laughs> and she started to cry all day long, and she was crying because she was missing her husband. You say what? I mean, he has six years. I mean, people is getting married young in India, but not so much. <laughs> and that's not going on so much now. Even so, they start to ask with your husband. Which husband? He/she gave the name, name, but where is he living? So he gave, she gave the address, the town, the village, the, the, all the information very clearly. So they went to the village, and they went. They found the house. They found the husband. Everything was there. And, and, and that husband's wife had died exactly in time with this girl's lifetime. So everything, like, matched perfectly. And we say, wow. But in India, they say, yeah, of course, karma reincarnation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for them, it's not something to put in the news. It's like, of course. <laughs> but that's there. It's very natural, you know. So in my personal case, I really do not feel, again, that attraction. But I feel some... For example, regarding my practice, my present practice, I really feel that it's not the first lifetime I'm practicing this. Because it came to my life in a very natural way. But I don't feel the necessity to enter into the specifics. No? How did I start in my previous life? Was I a in- Hindu or whatever? It can become easily a distraction. I have seen many people... Want to enter into this regression... Regression, you see in English? Therapies. And many of them just want to get some entertainment. Uh, and to obey, be evasive of present moment. <laughs> so I go to this point. You are interested into past. In present, you have the proper dose of past. What's coming to you now. What you are now is a byproduct of how you react in the past. That's a necessary dose of past. No, No more than that. And future... Necess- proper dose of future, also in the present moment. So, and some ex- specific cases may require some something else, but generally that's not the rule for all. What else? Yeah, your name? Ah, uh, Michael. Yeah, Michael. So, some Hindus believe well, <coughs> if they get. Uh, cremated and their ashes spread in the river Ganges, that they can just go straight to moksha. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Doesn't it seem kind of weird how there's kind of just like this loophole, like where I I could probably just go to moksha without even having to practice Hindu at all. <laughs> I agree totally. <laughs> there is a way to 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 conduct oneself in those ideas and to to not only have a belief, because of course, as you say, I. I've met many Hindus that just believe about something and make things too easy. I mean, I live my nonsense life and but at the end, my ashes go to Ganga and that's all. I'm, I'm delivered and it's not, it doesn't work like this. I mean, if you really study Hindu texts, it's, it speaks about you have to really believe your belief. And I mean, you really have to be playing out your belief. That's, I mean, you say you may say to me, I believe something. I will tell you let me see how you play out the belief. And that's how you believe that. If not, that's just some words in the air. Belief is not just an intellectual conviction. I believe God exists. Someone said, asked that to Carl Jung once. Do you believe in God? He said, no. I know that He exists. He said. That's very different. To believe in something and to really know. If you ask me, do you believe in the existence of Dana? I'll say, no, I know her. <laughs> it's not that I believe that she is. No. I mean, I have a direct experience, and for us, that's what faith means. Not just some ethereal conviction, but some undeniable experience that takes you to live your life in a particular way. So, if some Hindus believe that, well, that's only their belief, but it's not that they will get moksha only by being cremated and their ashes thrown into the Ganga. Of course. There is a purpose to that as well if you lead your life in line with this idea. Because the cremation point has to do mainly with soul is living the body. And if the soul is still identified with the body, you you cremate the body. It means the soul will have not so much chance to... To remain like flying around the body thinking I'm there, I'm still there, I'm still there because there's no body to fly around. <laughs> so it quickly, quicker will go to the next body. But if the body is just, how do you say, buried, the body will be there till the worms do their job So for time. So maybe the soul in that subtle body will stay there for quite some time so the cremation is like to make the things a little bit more dynamic <laughs> and of course Ganga water is a sacred river so some blessing is connected to that as much as you really have faith in that have experience of that if not it's just like you try to convince yourself about something you, you don't even believe but if if the proper faith is there the proper experience is there and all those things have a purpose have some effect but, of course, there's a lot of nonsense going on also in the Hindu marketplace. <laughs> so it's important to separate. That's everywhere, not only in Hinduism. Everywhere there's essential, essentialist practitioners and people who just follow the superficial appearance of, of the thing. No? What else? Your, your name? Um, Elise. Yeah. What is the significance of your facial markings in your hair? that's my daily makeup no? this is sacred clay from India so uh, basically the idea is that this body is a temple hmm, of the soul so as a temple I treat it as a sacred s- spot so I take care of that not as my body because it doesn't belong to me I mean whenever karma, or oh, God wants to take that body out of me I have no control on that. <laughs> and I didn't have control about which body I would receive in this lifetime. I didn't choose my face or whatever. If I had the chance, I would have chosen some other things. But what to do? <laughs> so it's not mine. That's the point. It's a gift. Not only it's not mine, it's a gift being given. Because in human form means human lifetime, human psychology. And human psychology implies... I can ask certain questions that I, couldn't, I cannot ask in less complex forms of lives. You know, like animal, species, mineral, vegetals, vegetable species. They are not asking about, they are not having existential crisis basically. <laughs> As we have. That's a big opportunity. <laughs> no? They ask mainly about this question, how? How to mate, how to defend, where to eat. But we mainly have the potential to ask why questions. No? Qualitative questions not quantitative, qualitative. Why? Why I am, as our Guru says. So that throws us in a whole existential crisis, but interesting adventure. So so this body is an opportunity to inquire about the nature of ourselves. So it's a sacred opportunity for us. So in that sense, we decorate that, ornament that. This is sacred clay that represents different markings as this body doesn't belong to me, it belongs to God. This is one tulasi leaf. This is a sacred plant in India that I draw here. So it's a leaf that we use whenever we pre- present some offering to God. So I put this like saying, I want to be the offering. Even though I make offerings, eventually I have to conclude, I am the offering. I want to offer myself to the divine. And this represents like like the soil, if you will, like the soil of the feet of God. Like having the feet of God on my, over my head. Not so much that I want to step on others' heads, but I want to receive God's... My head's stepped on by God's feet, if you will. Something like that. You were only asking about this or something else, sorry? Um, And the hair. And the the hair, okay. Uh, The hair and something else? Yes, your wardrobe. Oh, okay. So, well, as I say yes before, because someone else also asked about this in the previous class, this is a way of trying to lead a very simple lifestyle so I'm not too much concerned with fashion world as you may realize I'm not behind the, <laughs> the parades in Europe and whatever is going on what's the next new clothes to wear the next haircut to have I just shave my head put this word and I'm done <laughs> no? and one concern, less concern because so many concerns are there that ocup- occupy our time, energy so if I can reduce that <laughs> that's interesting <laughs> And it doesn't mean that you have to dress like me. Do not be afraid, but one can really simplify. That's my point. Certain things that sometimes get so excessive, complicated, especially in our modern society. So this is monastic. As a monastic, I only wear these clothes. I chose this. The color has to do with the rising sun, saffron color, that the rising sun comes and giving light to a new day, new perspective. Darkness is leaving compared to the life of knowledge I want to give, I would I like to live. Also in Sanskrit, this color represents affection. Every emotion is connected to some color, so it's connected to affection. So for us, for me, being a monastic doesn't imply not to be affectionate. No, it doesn't mean I'm a monastic, I'm very detached, I'm very indifferent, so I won't feel anything for anyone. I'm just about getting out of this world. That's not our school of thought. <laughs> we are really into the world but seeing it as divine energy of Krishna and we want to interact with every aspect of the world in a loving way with every person, with every atom to approach nature in a non-exploitative way so all this is just like declaring our principles of course, it serves like a nice strategy for people to stop me at every corner and ask, what are you doing? <laughs> so I have a nice chance to speak about them. About that. And my haircut, of course, all this is voluntary. No? For example, here I have one of my God brothers Gora Bunny, and he also practices the same philosophy as me. And you say, well, but he's not so weird as you. <laughs> no? He's weird as me. You have to speak with him. Maybe on aesthetic terms, he's more no? <laughs> normal but my point is you can be a layperson have your job and of course if he goes to his computer job daily like this it will be a little bit maybe difficult it's a daily dynamics so so that's voluntary thing and at one point some external item to invoke some internal meditation if it's not you serving that purpose one can only become entangled thinking as we were speaking before oh my ashes have been burned I have the proper cloth proper head cut I will attain the goal by just doing that is not like that. A haircut, again, is like just shaving, like a simple way of dealing with that. And the extra, how do you say it in English, tough of hair, sometimes it represents we are trying to, to get rid from all, uh, if you will, improper conceptions of life. We detach from everything, but this extra, this means, but we, at, at the same time, we accept everything. Only in the service of God and in the service of others. So that's maybe the idea. So again, there's some symbolic representation there. But again, that's mainly that. You have to leave out your haircut. (laughs) You have to walk the talk, as they say. What else? Your name? Rachel. Do you believe in soulmates? Soulmates? Uh, soulmates will be like you have like an, let me under, see if I understand the term you have like another person is your exact partner something like this and there's only one I guess so no no I'm asking just no? I don't know <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah. okay no problem uh, well yes and no no, in which sense yes, in which sense no I feel that the soul may ideal, ultimate soul mate is Krishna in our particular philosophy but it doesn't mean that you won't be affectionate to anyone else I mean, <laughs> and of course you can have a, a husband and a wife, whatever and you can really feel we, we really get along together we are really complementing each other and that's perfect but I wouldn't take that to the that's your eternal partner for all life and the only one. That Because the soul has been going on through some un- uncountable lifetimes. And no, most probably your present boyfriend is not the one from all those previous lives. <laughs> and maybe he may not be in the future. Well, I don't want to sound a little less romantic. Sorry. You know? <laughs> but my point is you can love everyone. In our philosophy, very you similar know, to Christianity, mainly we propose Love God, and after that, love each other. In the sense that God is the, the ideal object of love for everyone universally, because you have a soulmate, but you can have it two soulmates or three soulmates. You not know? some jealousy will be there, some <laughs> conflict. So immediately the idea of love becomes contracted. I mean, if you speak about love, you want to speak about love in the most possible expansive terms. But if I go to, like, human romanticism, if you will, I kind of have, like, uh, 4,500 girlfriends. Will be, uh, even, even, it will even be difficult to sustain. <laughs> I, I don't have the, the potential to, lo- to interact with so many people on that level. But God has that potential. So for us, He has the potential to properly receive everyone's affection and reciprocate properly. So who else has that potential? If I go to some person and I say, Excuse me, I would like to really give my whole heart to you. That person will take a taxi and will disappear from the as <coughs> It's possible That's big commitment. I mean, what will I do with the heart of... whole? really, if the person is serious, I want to give my whole life to you fully. Please take it. I mean, you will become terrified. Oh, my God, this is a big responsibility. I don't know what to do with my own heart. and Some other hearts are coming and imagine all the hearts of all the people are coming to one single direction i mean who has that capacity we call that god krishna in our tradition <laughs> so with this i'm not saying romanticism is over for you all <laughs> but i'm trying to present our own perspective of how the proper soul made not not body made mind made but soul made eternally is the divine and by establishing that connection, you can have proper relationship with every single person. And you do not limit your love capacity to one person. That's what, at one point, took me to monastic life. I felt, I don't want to be limited to love one person. I mean, I don't want to be trapped to... I'm not criticizing that. But I felt, in this world, people generally, I love you, and you love me, but be careful of loving someone else. So I felt, that's not love. That's the, the idea I had in love is... I love you all. No, I mean, I, I don't want to make difference. And I kind of love you now and two months after I hate you. That happens also, especially in that particular <laughs> religion. So, if I hate you now, I never love you actually. Because love, real love, can never turn into hate. It will turn into higher love. So, on that point, we have to start to reconceive, reconfigure ourselves. What's love? <laughs> That we start to be able to love from the soul to the soul. Oh, whole topic, not for today, maybe. I give just the trailer for next year. I <laughs> <laughs> so we have more time. We have um, like one minute. So maybe maybe your parting advice for for us, for this community of young people, what's the few sentences of wisdom to give them a forward? <laughs> well, you are young people, I was young people also at one time, so it's a very valuable moment as I started my class saying existential crisis is there, many questions, many passionate inquiries are there, so please do not let uh, the world and the society uh, shut that off, no? I mean, just remain being a thinking person and a person who really wants to give their life for their ideals, and, and, and do not mind about like looking weird in, for society if you have some really thing that you are looking after and also try, to, since you are here in the world real, world religions class I mean it means you have some interest in that hopefully <laughs> so try to, to to go deep into the religious uh, landscape because it's not just only about ritual and some technical thing or what to speak about fanaticism and that's not about religion real religion has to be with this idea of religare, of reconnect that's in Sanskrit is yoga which means connection and the most deep connection you can establish with reality is through love. So eventually religion has to speak about love. So try to find your place in the in the religious world in in, in a real essential way. Not just I have to become part of such institution but how can I really become religious in the sense how can I can link with reality from a loving perspective and and be honest about that. Be sincere about that, and, have, and try to measure that the importance of that above some other considerations that may be part of your life, but only temporarily. No? And it's okay; temporarily considerations are there, but the top most priority is the top most priority. So try to always nurture yourself in, in that direction. And with time passes and you look back, you won't be—you uh, will really be thankful that you s- invested time in this important things because as you will grow you will have your degrees your house your family your job and so many things are there that are perfect no problem with that <laughs> as much as they do not make you forget about the most important essential things in life that are connected to also family house, and like this but understand what's permanent what's eternal how to deal with those things that are here today but maybe not tomorrow and you can become a balanced mature Human being. So, some words I would like to share with you.
1: Thank
0: you so much. So thank to you.